Hello, hello, my dearest peace lovers and peacemakers friends. This is Sarah Jamshidi with Martin Rokhsefat. Welcome to another program for Peace Mindedly. Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. So our program is about peace, about kindness and compassion. But for today's program, I'm not sure that we are specifically going to talk about peace. I think we are going to talk about something very drastically different than peace. And that is revolution. We are going to talk about revolution. So we are taking a detour. And for that, I am very excited. For this hour, we are talking about the Egyptian revolution and how the nation has been dealing with chaotic events one after another. Egypt is an important nation that produced some of the most powerful men in history. From Pharaoh to Hosni Mubarak, Egypt saw the rise and fall of men. The country played a significant role in Middle Eastern policy in recent years. Egypt was one of the first Arab nations signed a treaty with Israel. Then she has gone through many changes and upheavals until its recent demand for regime change on January 2011. The revolution started when a man set himself on fire outside of the parliament building, protesting against poverty and against political repressions. This is exactly, exactly when uh, our story actually begins. The moment that Sami, one of our protagonists in Spring, in Spring, a novel by Leila Rafi'i, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Rafi, Rafi, Leila Rafi'i, there you go. Up until now, I, I kept pronouncing her last name Rafi'i, but I learned just today that it's actually Rafi'i, so bear with me. Spring, a novel by Leila Rafi'i. Sami is entering in the scene, and then we are just exploring what's happening within 18 days during the start of the revolution. So here I am bringing Leila to our to our studio. Hello, Leila. Hi. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome to Peace Mindedly. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being here. Of course, Leila was a graduate student in the Middle Eastern Studies at the American University in Cairo when the Egyptian Revolution was taking place. She was living within a few blocks from Tahrir Square, and I bet you, like myself, are interested to learn about what happened with the Egyptian revolution and what happened with what was going on. Leila was born in an Iranian-American household where the talk of revolution in Iran and its aftermath takes place in almost any Iranian gathering. I know it by heart. So I'm guessing that the concept of revolution is not new to Leila, but witnessing one of the very important revolution in 21st century is a different story. Spring is a debut to Egypt's revolution. Leila is a wondrous storyteller who takes us to many streets in Cairo, tell us about Egyptian food, and reintroduces us to Egyptian music and pop culture. Okay, Leila, 
people know about you because you've been out talking about your book and yourself and uh, what was your experience in in Egypt but but I wonder what what questions that you think a producer or an interviewer must have asked from you and uh, she or he hadn't so what is what is the question um I guess I would want well I something that I keep expecting from interviewers is how close does this mirror your experience? Which um, I like that question, but I also think it's an important one. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I mean, I like that question, but it's also something that I fear because I know that people, whenever people read anything that you write, they always, I guess it's natural to be like, oh, well, this is this person and that's that person. <laughs> so I think that I would like, to answer these questions and, you know, explain that these are all like my experiences and bits and pieces are all over the place in this novel, but I also made up a lot of stuff too. So Mm -hmm. um, you really can't say this was inspired by that. It's really like all the characters are inspired by my experiences. Every little thing that happens is, so it's not really quite so simple. It's inspiration comes out in different ways than you'd expect. Absolutely. So a few of my novelist friends tell uh, tell me that we are like spies and then we go to cafes or we go to parties and we listen to conversations and we are just you know taking bites and bits of our uncles and our aunts and our friends and so forth and so on make a character uh, in the novel and it's honestly all of those characters are made up characters that we created and it's not it's not the real real characters so i'm guessing that probably it was the case for you so you created these characters right and it's a little i mean it's a little bit like if you heard you know i lived in an area near tahrir square and that's similar to the apartment where two of the characters live so when you have details like that people are like aha but i think um you know it's a hard question to answer but i think that you really described it well, where it's really like bits and pieces and overheard conversations and things like that, that kind of all blend together. To mm-hmm. And speaking of the book, so basically, I recommend the book, I think it's quick, easy, interesting uh, story. And the plot is very interesting. But for the sake of the conversation, so we put people in in, in the context, we are talking about uh, three storylines, I believe, uh, one storyline is the relationship between Sammy and Rose, two of the main characters. Sammy is the main, main character. And then Sammy's mom, Swat, and also Jamila, Sammy, uh, Rose maid, right? Mm-hmm. So without giving out the story, can you tell us what are the relationship uh, of these storylines? Well, I think the central storyline is Sammy's. Sammy which I think is fitting because the revolution was really youth led and Sammy is a youth. He is around the same age as a lot of the people who organized at that time. Um, He's a student, he is living in Cairo, but he's actually from a town outside of the city that is a little bit more conservative. And he grew up that way. His mother is more conservative too. And he has a girlfriend who is an American in Cairo and they have this, 
relationship that he is trying to come to grips with. He is trying to hide that from his mother and it's becoming more and more difficult as, as time passes. And um, so we also get into the head of Suad, his mother. She like all alongside the revolution, she is watching from Mahala where she lives and she feels very detached from everything. She's watching state TV news about what's happening in Cairo. Her son is not answering his phone. So we see both a firsthand account of what's happening as well as the imagined scenarios from the mother who's only getting bits and pieces of information. And then lastly, Jamila is, um, she's Rose's housekeeper and she's, her I'm sorry. I'm no sorry. worries. No worries. That's that's absolutely fine because we are in our houses and I know that you have a puppy. I should have mentioned uh, at the beginning of the program. That's absolutely fine. We, we love, we love. Is it he or she? He, he's a little guard dog. Oh, but, uh, cute. Yeah. So, so yes, Jamila is, she's very separate. She's not really entangled in the personal storylines, but she's watching everything from the side. She's kind of the closest thing, I think, to what would be an omniscient narrator. She's not because she's, you know, a human character, but she observes from a more detached perspective. She is the one who is listening to these unanswered calls, cleaning up after Sammy and his girlfriend, um, you know, finding things she's not supposed to find, knowing things she's not supposed to know. So we also get her perspective and we learn things that the other characters would never know about Jamila. Like she is pursuing a resettlement case. She is looking for her husband who has disappeared at the hands of the police. So she has a lot going on under the surface that people don't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. All of those storylines that kind of overlap during the same time frame of the 18 day revolution. Excellent. And speaking of, I'm going to go back to my questions, but, but speaking of the puppy, what is your puppy? His name is Bernie. He Bernie. Is, yeah. He's a, a Jack Russell Terrier. Oh yeah. Yeah. If my daughter was here, I mean, she, she just loves dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So Leila, what can we accomplish? You think, what can we accomplish in, stories like in stories in fictional stories that we cannot accomplish in real storytelling like in news stories and news feature stories and so forth i think that what fiction can bring is insight into like a personal perspective of what the news is you know it's more than headlines there's people that are actually impacted by this and you can only learn so much from a news article. You can get quotes here and there, you can interview somebody, but until you really get in the head of somebody who's living a news event, you don't really understand. And I think that fiction helps us understand by almost putting us in the shoes of somebody who is actually there. I think it's the closest thing that you can get to actually being in their shoes. And I think so it allows the readers, I think, to connect more with what's happening in the world in a way that a news article wouldn't necessarily. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, I was a foreign correspondent and I was just dispatched to different countries to do stories. And it was one of the main complaints that we have always received, that uh, reporters go to the nation and they just do the story and they are there for the sake of the story. And then they leave and they leave everything behind, probably sometimes the mess that they leave behind, because oftentimes the sources that we, that's absolutely okay, don't worry about it. Uh, the sources that we go to and we connect uh, sometimes get into um, real troubles and that is one of the um, one of the actual uh, criticism that the foreign correspondents receive but speaking of which speaking of someone who is your parents are from Middle East. I'm guessing that at least in the gatherings, there has been discussion about revolution and what was going on during the, during the revolution and what was the aftermath of the revolution. And you yourself is the um, graduate of Middle Eastern studies. So we are hearing many of these stories of the plot and the um, spring, the novel itself, from perspective of someone who is quite familiar, right? But I'm, I wonder, what are we missing probably? Or what do you think that you, you missed of explaining in this story? Well, what I hope to explain in the story are the different sides to a revolution because that's something that I experienced growing up. I always heard about the Iranian revolution as something that was bad, something that you know destroyed the country. It was kind of the scary thing, like you didn't want to have a revolution. But then I think with my story, we do get a little bit of that perspective in Suad, the mother who is more set in her ways. She doesn't want things to change. Um, she's anti-revolution. And then we also get the perspective of somebody who is enjoying the revolution and has something to gain from it. That's Sammy. And then, of course, outsiders who don't are not directly impacted by the revolution, but are still observing. And that would be somebody like Jamila or Rose, who's the American. So what I wanted to get into or what I wanted to explain with those are there's real people on all of these sides. And it's not as simple as, you know, right and wrong that there, you know, I hope that people can understand where others are coming from a little bit more, even if they might be wrong. (laughs) Um, I hope people would kind of be a little bit more empathetic through hearing about these different narratives. Absolutely. And speaking of which, so I know that you have said before, I mean, one of your um, favorite characters is Swad. And then I'm thinking, if we follow Swat throughout the story, because I I know Swat, Swat is like my grandma and probably my aunt back in Tehran. Um, so if we understand their, uh, her thought process, do we do we sympathize with her? You think? I think so. I think Sawad is kind of a ridiculous character a little bit because she takes things to the extreme. I think that her worries are well-founded, but she is very neurotic and she obsesses. And um, I think that people can identify with that. People can either feel that they have felt that way or they know maybe people in their life that are that way. So I think that with Suad, 
what I hope is that people would laugh at her, but then also feel sympathy for her too, while also acknowledging that she's not right necessarily about the things that she believes. Um, you know, somebody can still be wrong and, you know, you can still relate to them, I think. So I hope that that's what I can get across. Yes, very well put. So here's this, um, at least my understanding of when I am reading novels, I believe that there are, there is usually an omnipresent wisdom that uh, probably explains between the lines or tries to fill in the gaps of, okay, so this happens and that happens. I think at least my understanding is why this uh, omnipresent wisdom is probably Jamila, mm -hmm. who is trying, I'm just guessing, but what yeah. is, what is uh, how do we see that? I mean, do you, do you agree that there is this omnipresent wisdom that needs to explain this story further? I think that it helps to have a character that is, slightly apart um, so that they have a more neutral voice in the story. But, you know, Jamila is a human. She's not everywhere all the time. She There's limits to what she knows, but she's also seeing things from both sides. She's seeing the mother call all the time. She's seeing what Sammy is doing, what her what his mother is trying to figure out. She's the person who knows that. So in a way, she does know. Um, she knows more than any other character in terms of what's happening on both sides. Mm -hmm. What was the streets of Cairo during those 18 days of the beginning of the revolution? What did you see? Well, I, because I lived close to Tahrir, we actually saw a lot, my roommates and I. I remember it started on a Tuesday, which is in the story as well. It was National Police Day. And it was kind of quiet. It started like slowly and it gradually built up to Friday, January 28th, um, which was called the Day of Rage. And it really exploded that day. I remember um, my friends and I went out in the morning and when we came back, the street was already like, you know, people were assembling for Friday prayers and we could just tell there were way more people for that Friday prayer than ever before. There were so many people that they spilled out onto the street and they had to close off the entire street, which was a, a major um, boulevard in Cairo. And then after prayers, it's funny, prayers was like this very calm moment and it was really eerily quiet. And then all of a sudden when it was over, it really just broke out and there was all of this energy and they were charging the police that were blocking the intersection. So we got to watch this, you know, from our balcony and it was so exciting. <laughs> you know, I feel weird saying that because I know that, you know, some people will be like, oh, well, you know, I'm a lucky person who wasn't down in there and getting hurt. But it really was an incredible thing to see. And I think that it really was a moment that there was a lot of hope. And I think that people felt so empowered in that moment. So there was a lot of happiness in the air, I think, even though a lot of the motivations from for the revolution came out of a place of pain and suffering that people felt under the Mubarak regime. You really got the sense that people were so glad that they were doing something and they felt like it was an actual movement that was happening. So, you know, I do think that that was something that I wasn't necessarily 
expecting at all that I felt when I was there. Yes, it's very empowering to see and probably emotions. So you you explained there was a people were happy and they but other than can you can you explain mm-hmm. us at least what was your emotion during probably just you've been influenced or impacted by the emotions of the crowd or or the emotions in in the air. So what was your experience? I think that the revolution made me so attached to Egypt. I loved Egypt even before then. I fell in love with Cairo immediately when I left the airport when I first Why came. why did you why? It was just so different from any place I had ever seen before and it was the first Middle Eastern country I had ever been to. And, you know, as somebody who is Middle Eastern, I had always imagined the Middle East, um, but had never had the chance to go there. So when you go there, it almost feels like you are seeing a place that you've only seen in dreams before or something. It had this familiarity, but then also this newness. And I just loved it. It's so chaotic. It's beautiful. It's ugly at the same time. It's, you know, an amazing place. But I think that the revolution made me really just feel like I was a part of that country. I felt, um, you know, I just felt like I loved it. I felt like I did not want to leave. I felt like I really was emotionally invested in the outcome of the revolution, too. So I think that it just built my attachment a lot more. You are watching Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. We live stream our show every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. You can find our program on many social media channels, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Periscope, supported by Twitter, and and many others. And also we are in about 11 podcast channels that you can hear, you can find us and hear the amazing discussion that we do have with our authors. For the next episode, I'm talking with three peace builders and writers. Their books is Compassionate Conversation, How to Speak and Listen from the Heart. Diane Mosho Hamilton is a Zen teacher and an award-winning mediator. Gabrielle Wilson is a leadership coach and peace builder. And Kimberly Lowe is an author and coach and peace builder. So we are going to talk about how to create space for peace and especially for um, managing a difficult conversation when, uh, when the stakes are high and when parties are in conflict. So after compassionate listening, uh, I'm talking with Shahla Ha'eri, Boston University professor and author of Unforgettable Queens of Islam, Succession, Authority, and Study. Ha'eri offers extraordinary biographies of several Muslim, Muslim women rulers. These women reached the heights of political hierarchy in their time. Ha'eri picked women from medieval Yemen, India, modern Pakistan, and Indonesia to showcase Muslim women power when the written history of Islam is overwhelmingly masculine.
So I am excited about my conversation with, with Hairi. For this hour, we are talking with a young author who knows a great deal about the Middle East and its revolution. Leila Rafi'i is the author of Spring, a novel about Egypt and its recent revolution. Okay, Leila John. So tell me, you mentioned your parents are from Iran, and, and then also the talk of revolution is very poignant in the Iranian gatherings and Iranian conversation. So I wonder, have you ever drawn any lines between Iran revolution and Egypt revolution? Is there any similarities in your opinion? Um, don't mind my dog. But, no. There's so, um, so, so much happening today. Yeah. So after the storm, there is no complaint about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think the parallels are actually that the, you know, the dictators that people are revolting against are, were both really popular with the West. They were really like Western supported regimes. And I think some of the problems were similar in terms of like, there's, there's corruption, there's impunity for, you know, government security forces. But I think those are pretty common, actually, not even just in the developing world, but, um, you know, here in the US too. So I think, yeah, there are similarities. I think that the outcomes were very different. I think, you know, Iran's was able to go on for many months. And Iran was also more, you know, extreme in terms of like killing people who were part of the old regime. They didn't do that in Egypt. I hope I'm not wrong about that and people don't come after me. But in in Egypt, at least, it wasn't like that. It wasn't as as brutal in terms of like dealings with the old regime. In fact, a lot of old regimes old regime officials were still part of the transitional government and, you know, even the government that followed. So there are differences in that way as well. Yeah. I remember, I remember also there was a lot of talk about having an Islamic government too. A lot of people who were against the revolution were afraid that that was going to happen and often would point to Iran and be like, we don't want that to happen here. So it was interesting. There was a lot of interaction even between the two historical events. Um, Speaking of which, talking about revolution and Islamic revolution, whether or not to have Islamic Republic. So would you think, at least uh, I would like to know just your hunch of being living in Egypt and coming back to the United States. Are we moving towards Arab democracy after Arab Spring, because right now we know that there is no spring and everything is just uh, fall down. So is there any hope for democracy? No, I don't, I don't want to say no, but uh, I mean, it's not looking very good, but it's also not looking very good for the U.S. either. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of it has to do with how the U.S. treats the leaders of these regimes if they give them the green light to, you know, oppress the people or act in undemocratic ways. I think that that's going on right now. I don't think it's, you know, unique to this time period, but I just don't see it changing anytime soon. And as long as the U.S. and other, you know, Western governments allow these regimes to harm their people and get away with it, I think it'll be very hard to actually see democracy in the Middle East. 
Yeah, so yes, exactly. You mentioned in some of the important points how the U.S. is dealing with the Middle East, the hegemony of the U.S. imperialism in the Middle East, and uh, the relationship that U.S. has with particular states uh, in the Middle East is very important. But I am not going to take you to politics. What I'm go- I'm going to stay with the fiction, and then for spring, for spring. When you were writing the novel, would you would you ever believe that there was the fiction has its own logic? And in your imagination, things are happening. And of course, you are putting down words and scenes and everything. But somehow you had to go forward with your imagination and not trying to control everything, uh, the plot and everything so tightly. Did you have this kind of, because this is something I'm hearing a lot from uh, novelists. Um, You mean difficulty controlling the story because of the real event? No, no. I mean, like, so you just let yourself to be taken by the plot and not trying to control it too much. Right. Yeah, I think that that happened actually for me too. I think for me at least, I definitely need to start with an idea of the plot and where I think that it's going to go. But it changes a lot often during the writing process. And these little nuances in characters and plot lines really come up usually uh, throughout the writing process. So yeah, that definitely happened. And that was something that surprised me that I never would have expected when I started writing. Because you feel like it's it's so hard to come up with a story in the first place. And it's kind of interesting when, you know, when you do start, actually, that's when a lot of the ideas start flowing to you. Yes. Um, I wish I knew that all along. I wish I knew that the key is to just start and then, you know, the ideas will come. But I definitely found that. Already. Are you are you applying to your new understanding? Are you just trying to start your next novel? I'm giving you you your next project. <laughs> have yeah. you thought about next novel? I, yeah, I next actually have project. the next novel that um yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But it's already finished. Um it's already finished. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a big, that's a big news. So what is the next novel is about? The next novel is a modern take on the ancient Egyptian myth of Isis and Osiris. Um, And it's, you know, it's weird. It's dark. It has a lot of surrealism in it. You know, it's very different from my first novel, even though they're both Egypt inspired. Yeah. And I started writing it. Actually, it takes a really long time to publish a book. So in that interim period. Tell me the process. Tell me the process. Why do you think it takes a lot of time to publish? Take me through the process. I wish it didn't because maybe my book would have come out before COVID. (laughs) But (laughs) but the process is, you know, everything moves very slowly in the publishing industry. You know, not not saying that it's anybody's fault, but that's just how it is. There's, you know, first the contract negotiation process, and then you work with an editor on top line edits in terms of like fixing plot lines, um, you know, higher level things to change. And then you work with a copy editor and then it comes time to design the cover. And then even after all of that is done, 
you often still have to wait for the right timing, the right time of year for a book to come out. You have to wait until um, the marketing team has everything sorted out. So there's just a lot of different pieces that need to all fall into place by the time a book comes out and it can take a while. So I wrote this in that interim period, fearing that, well, at that point I knew this book was going to get published. But I think when this, when I first started this story, I was like, okay, let me do something else in case the first one falls through. Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's interesting. So the next novel is going to be about ISIS and about some of the myth that is you, you want to explain in the novel? Yeah, it's the goddess Isis. The goddess, not, uh -huh. not, the, not the terrorist group. Oh, yay. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's this ancient myth, Egyptian. And I remember when I first heard about it, I loved it. It's actually very dark and even darker and, and um, more perverted than how I portray in my story. But the basic storyline is that Osiris, the sun god, is murdered by his enemy and cut into a bunch of different pieces, and they're all scattered throughout Egypt. And then Isis, um, while she mourns him, she travels throughout Egypt to find all of the pieces of his body and put them together. And it's a story about rebirth and the birth of Egypt, actually, because, you know, after, it takes putting back, putting back together all of the pieces to first of all, it happens. And then that's what brings these gods to life. So I love this story. And I couldn't believe that nobody had done it until now. As far as I know, it seems like it, you know, retellings of myths are pretty popular, but I hadn't heard of anything like this. So that's what gave me the idea. And I actually, I came across this story years ago, and for some reason, never wrote it. It took me writing the first book to finally <laughs> sit down and write this one. And is this going to be your journey, writing books? I hope so. You know, I, it's what I always wanted to do. But, you know, I like my, my normal job, too. So, What is your normal job? I work at the ACLU, and I do a lot of writing for them, too. So, you know, it's almost, it really brings in my passion for writing, Um and I'm glad I get to work with people because otherwise I would definitely go crazy just working on novels all the time and not talking to anybody. So I'm glad that I still have that. Excellent. So Alia Billwood, such an ex exciting story. I'm looking forward to it, Leila. And I'm hoping that you also, uh, yeah, and yay to ACLU. I'm hoping that, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Do you know, do you have any, any timeline in your mind about your next novel? Um, I mean, we'll see. It depends on mm -hmm. you know, if a publisher takes it and what they think but it probably won't be at least an, another year mm -hmm, mm -hmm. excellent so honestly right now we're talking about spring and it's a book that is taking place in in egypt and it's a very interesting plot interesting plot easy to read and easy to follow very exciting interesting plot about exciting moment moment in in Egypt you are watching to peace mindedly a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers so for this hour we are talking with a young author Leila Rafi'i 
author of Spring. It's a debut to Egypt Revolution. And as I said, it's an interesting book to include in your library. You can find this episode and episodes alike on goldtoon.com. Leila's um, book, Spring, is available on goldtoon.com. Spring is a story of a few connected people whose lives are caught in the midst of a revolution. The revolution changes them and their relationship with their country and and with themselves. You are watching our show, you know that at the end of every program, we ask our guests to share something meaningful about peace, about kindness, and about compassion, especially during this time that first we are talking about Middle East and we're talking about upheaval in the Middle East. And peace in the Middle East is something very important to me and to the work that I do. So I, I I would like for Leila to just share whatever she thinks that we should consider about peace or statement or something that you would like us to know. So we appreciate the, the thought. Something about peace? Yes, something about peace. Yeah. I would say what is peace you know i think people need to think more about what it means does it mean you know silence or some people would think that you know a moment like now is at peace not thinking about the struggles that are happening under the surface so i think that's that's something people need to to think about Very good. So, Leila, other than online shops, where else can we find the book? Online, I'm. You know, I'm not sure. I haven't gotten a list from my publisher, but right now, mm-hmm. Amazon, Indiebound, um, Barnes and Noble, all of the main places. Mm-hmm. Do you have a website? Yes. Okay. What is your website? It's just my name, LeilaRafi.com. LeilaRafi.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Leila, for joining us here. I have I have my team. Thank you, my team, for helping us out. Thank you, Leila. And with all said, Thank you so much. Thank you.